0: You're listening to The Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of The Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name is Phil. I am the host and the creator of the podcast, but if you've listened to this, You know that already. So, i got another episode for you. Another topic. Uh, This one is entitled Memory. And I'd like to try to get this episode to kind of hit on everything I talk about. Mental health, self-awareness, spirituality, all of these things. I don't know if I'm going to get there, but we're going to try. So, let's start off. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the definition for memory plural memories uh, the power or process of reproducing or recalling what has been learned and retained especially through associative mechanisms the store of things learned and retained from an organism's activity or experience as evidence as evidenced by modification of structure or behavior or by recall and recognition uh, there's commemorative remembrance which that would be like a statue. Uh, the fact or condition of being remembered, a particular act of recall or recollection, an image or impression of one that is remembered, the time within which past events can be or are remembered. Uh, there's also a device, such as a chip, or a component of an electronic device, such as computer or smartphone, in which information can be inserted and stored and from which it may be extracted when wanted. Uh, there's also the capacity for storing information, and that both has a technical and non-technical aspect. Uh, lastly, there is a capacity for showing effects as the result of past treatment or for returning to a former condition, uh, used especially of a material, such as a metal or plastic. So if a, a metal kind of re- has a memory recall of its shape, it'll return to that, typically either by heating or Cooling it. This is what we use for old school thermostats. We had um, two metals that were placed next to each other, and as uh, the temperature changed, one metal would bend or curl comparative to the other, and that would turn the thermostat on or off depending on what you set the temperature to. Fun little fact there. But you know, I'm going to come back to some of these definitions, but what I really want to get into in this conversation is going back to the, uh, the history or the etymology of the word memory. And I do this a lot with words. I like to go to the etymology, uh, again, the history of where a word comes from. I just don't always bring it up. Actually, I think this is the first time I've ever brought it up. Actually, like specifically bringing it up in a podcast episode. But the etymology of memory comes from uh, Middle English uh, memory or memori. Uh, which is from Anglo-French, uh, memori. Uh, and then memori is also from the Latin memoria, uh, which comes from um, the word memore. And, and memore is um, mindful, essentially, would be the direct translation nowadays would be to be mindful, um, which is also akin to the Old English uh, gememore, which is to be well known, uh, which comes from uh, the Greek uh, memera, which is to take or to have care, um, and finally the Sanskrit smarari, uh, uh sorry smarari, um, which would directly translate to he remembers or you know to one who is remembering. And I find it interesting a couple of different pieces in there. One, uh, the word memoir, uh, the Latin memoir, which is mindful, and when I talk about meditation, I often talk about that's uh, being mindful of our breath or being aware of our breathing. And I also talk about self-awareness and mental health, but self-awareness would, you know, there'd be a direct relationship there to be mindful of. And I'm specific on the things to be mindful of when we have self-awareness, we have the body, the mind and the spirit and the connections in between those and what, um, those might be or what function they might, um, uphold. And I talked about that. Oh, geez quite a bit a a while ago when I talked about the connection of self body and mind um, and other that was episodes 21 through 24. And then later in the podcast episodes, I talked about um, a couple different connections there. Uh, I'd have to go back through the list here, but uh, let's see. Um, Well, it doesn't really matter. But you know, I talked about the connections between the mind and the body, and you know, the self and the body, and how that would be considered heart, and um, the connections between the different, the different pieces of the body, and the different things we do with it. Specifically, when we talk about the connections that might link to um, the spiritual self or the other, the the other health body, and so. When we're talking about memory, I think it's important to also bring in that that conversation about spirituality. And there's some topics there when we look back at, you know, the Old English, uh, Gemma well-known. Well-known takes on a characteristic that it's not just known by the individual, it's well-known. And to be well-known would be a translation of known by everyone um, in more modern uh uses we might reference uh, the mandalorian when they say it is known right when they, it is known or this is the way these would be well-known things things that are generally agreed upon by the society as a whole or groups or tribes of individuals and so well, something well known might be the laws of the land they're well known um We would have other examples. I don't need to go on and on about that. But So something like the Old English gemamore to be well-known, would be something that is known by all or known by the majority. And so when we talk about memory coming from a word like Gememore, something that is well-known, something that's uh, well-talked about also, something that's regularly talked about or understood, we get into... A different function of memory, which I think is very important when we talk about self awareness and mental health, specifically when it relates to getting into our spirituality, because that can be a cultural reference. I think all cultures have some spiritual aspect. And so, with that idea, let's delve into the importance of memory in and of ourselves, but also as a collective whole, because memory is collective. And with memory being collective, we have the use of recording or recording memory. And so going back up to um, the definitions here from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, I think it's important now to talk about memory as a function and not just memory as a human function, but memory as a function in which humans use technology to enhance Memory kind of sits outside of what we would consider to be base function as far as human, right We know mice have memory they we can put them through complex patterns of mazes and they will still find the uh route to the to the reward um, even some I would argue fungi have a memory structure almost everything has a memory structure as far as you know the parents of animals pass on some sort of genetic biological memory function to teach their offspring how to function. And inside of that, they can then advance that memory or function recall uh, to be better at something. So in order to have a skill, I would say, was required for there to be memory. And even if there isn't a high level of a skill, it's all skills or actions or complex, or what we can, I guess, could consider complex uh, survival traits require some sort of memory. And uh, theory apatosis on YouTube, uh, Ken Wheeler, talks about how the water molecule itself, the dipole molecule of water, is in fact that in which uh, stores memory and I would agree with that. I don't necessarily wanna get into the science he puts into that fact, but I would say water is the original memory device. Um, You know, water is part of the human system Hydrogen and oxygen are two very important molecules as far as human function goes, but not just human, biological function. Hydrogen and oxygen are important biological functions and goes all the way down to the DNA, RNA, and you know, the genetic level to, to pass on gene structures requires water. In some methodology, some way, water is involved, specifically hydrogen and oxygen. So when we look at it at a genetical level, there is a memory function. I believe it's kind of a breakdown of how he's basing this, but it's also dipole, right? And th- what I mean by dipole so it looks like an antenna. It looks like an upside down antenna, two hydrogen and an oxygen. Uh, the oxygen's on top, and there's two hydrogen molecules attached to that coming down. When we look at the actual molecular uh, makeup, you know, what you would look at as the diagram of how the molecules are lined up. There's an oxygen on the top and then there's two poles two attachments for hydrogen. And so the oxygen binds the two hydrogens. And so we have a dipole antenna. Now with that, there can be the passing of information. If an antenna exists, no matter if it's a functional antenna, like we used to or used to use to tune in TVs, um, or continue to use in today's um, use of radios. Uh, you have a dipole antenna. It's really easy to pick up ham radio signals if you have a dipole antenna. You have a, you take a really long piece of wire and attach it between two points, and then have another lead that comes off of that to read that signal. You have a dipole antenna, and so if there's a dipole antenna, information can be passed. Well. Really, what we're passing is frequency, okay? And so, delving a little bit deeper into Ken Wheeler's stuff, we have the. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to get too far into this, but uh, we have frequency as it is existing in universe. We call this light. Everything is light based. If you you know you look at Ken's work, um, Ken, if you ever listen to this, I would love to have you on the podcast and talk about. Uh, all your work. It's fantastic. One, you do it for free most of the time. Well, I think you do all of your stuff for free, uh, which is amazing. And you've definitely advanced modern understanding of not only light, but magnetism quite a bit. So shout out to you. Um, go check out Ken's um, YouTube page, uh, Etheria Apotheosis. That's on com slash archive. I have both his YouTube and his, um, just his name there. So you can find it, but when we have, let's just use the Hertzian frequency, right? So when we have frequency, we have light, and if we have light, is what makes up the reality behind us, around us, uh, the chair you're sitting on, or the the headphones you're using, are no different than the actual thing that's occurring by you absorbing a frequency in the sound waves. You know, it's all frequency based, and so an antenna picks up frequencies. Um, It picks up specific frequencies depending on what the antenna is made of. And so it would not be far afield to say that water itself is an antenna and it picks up the frequencies of the things around it. I would say actually water is one of the best antennas in the world. That's why uh, water is conductive for electricity. That's also why water is an amazing sound barrier uh, because it absorbs these frequencies. And so, you know, you have something like the 5G technology that's coming out nowadays, these um small little well, they're not even really small, they're actually pretty compact little tower blocks that produce uh, or uh, recycle, I should say, 5G uh, information um to break that down for a second, I know I'm getting a little little off topic, but uh 5G just represents the fifth generation of current Wi-Fi signaling or short um, radio wave si- signaling. That's what 5g does. Uh, we had 2g, we had 1g, 2g, 3g, 4g. Now we have 5g. 5g is very, very condensed signaling. Um, it's high, a low band, high frequency. Uh, so it, when it hits things, it shatters. It's, it's a very, um, if we're talking about in the terms of it's, um, hardiness. Um, it's not very hardy. It's, it's, uh, I'm sorry, fragility. If it's as far as things go, it's a very fragile signal. So it requires you to repeat it. Now it, it, it's high band. I'm sorry, high, high band, uh, high, low frequency. It's a low, it's still low frequency technically, but it's high band. So it, it carries a lot of information. And so it has higher, you know, megabits per second and stuff like that. But as far as the frequency itself goes, it's very fragile. So when it hits things, specifically human skin, it just shatters. And so you have to have all of these little 5G devices around to repeat the signal over and over again to connect to each other. And if one of them goes down, it's quite possible that the other ones wouldn't be able to talk to it. And so if you just had a straight string of 5G towers, again, don't think of a big tower. There's little tiny devices comparatively. um, You just had a a, a straight line of them, right? About every hundred feet, you'd need one. And about every 100 feet, if you, if one went offline, a very degraded signal is going to end up at the next one. And I don't know the full standard of the devices, but if you took two, uh, two in a row out of the line, it probably won't even get to the next repeater so that it can continue that. So you would actually break the signal. Now, going back to water and how well it absorbs signaling, you can actually defeat a 5G uh, signal by just putting too much humidity in the air. I would estimate it somewhere around 75, 80% humidity, which, you know, where are you actually going to find that in the world comparatively, um, would break down this signal. And so that's the importance of water as far as its ability to act like an antenna and absorb information, absorb signaling. Uh, can even do it with 5G devices. It can definitely do it inside of our body. And Ken's work shows that it can also do that as far as transferring information between animals, transferring information from the, our surroundings to us. If you think about what water does, it dissolves, it's the universal solvent, so it dissolves a lot of things. And as the universal solvent, it means it breaks down things and stores them inside of it. So it is a storage device as far as we talk about memory. And so when you think about the water you drink, uh, he talks about quite often the water you drink or, you know, the source of the water. We have, you know, animals that go and they drink from water sources. That might be ancient water sources comparatively or might be just, you know, the same water source source their parents drank from. And with that comes more scientifically an understanding of the chemicals and the just different, you know, everything down to like just parts of the surroundings that may have gotten broken down and are just stored in this, in this water source. Right, so when an animal drinks from that water source, or even when we drink from a water source, we're getting information, and we're giving information to the body. That information could include toxins in the area, could include uh, nutrients in the area, it can, could include um, all sorts of information. You know, any a water source that's polluted going to tell us like maybe you know this water is making me sick. But at a functional level inside the body, the body's getting all sorts of information. It's getting all of the information this water has absorbed from simply it having broken down the information, dissolving something or the energy in which it's absorbed by just being there. So if you bombard this water with all sorts of electromagnetic radiation, it's going to have some stored memory of that and it will pass that information onto our bodies. That's why it's important for me as a, as a, at a personal level to drink water from, um, old sources or filtered sources as far as like glacially filtered or spring filtered, not real spring water doesn't really necessarily exist in the United States of America. You know, you might drink Aquafina or you might drink, um, Dasani or it might say spring water. It's not, it's just processed and bottled, out, uh, you know, like Coke, Coca-Cola and Pepsi both bottle, Maybe not Pepsi, but I know if, I definitely know Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola uh, bottles Dasani water. So it, it's just the water at the plant in which Coca-Cola is processed um, that they just bottled into water. It's just heavily filtered water, but it's city water, which means it was heavily filtered anyway, usually. Even if it came from a spring source, they're still filtering the hell out of it. And so <clears throat> we get water that has just lost its memory, Right. Its memory is only of the filtration system in which it has been put through multiple times. Uh, specifically, something like city water, it's just constantly cycled over and over and over and over again inside of that city limits, usually, uh, because one, they need to, you know, there's going to be some water loss in the cycle, you know, between you putting water down the drain from your sink. Is not exactly a one to one. If there's evaporation, or also, you know, from wastewater treatment from the sewage system, um, that's the memory function of the water. It it is just that function. It's it's recalling its process, not evaporating off of a pond, going up into the clouds, traveling thousands of miles. Falling down and as rain into a, or even better, snow at the top of a mountain peak, and then you know slowly filtering itself down the mountain into a water source that slowly filters itself through rock and sediment and all these other things, or even better than that, what I grew up with, which was well water, which is water that did all of that, filtered through the earth, picks up minerals and all this other good stuff, and then gets deposited in an aquifer. And then that aquifer is tapped into by a a pump and then it pumps the water out of the aquifer, even better, right? So water and memory, very important functions when we talk about this definition right here. A device or component of an electronic device in which information can be inserted and stored from which it may be extracted when wanted. Or the capacity for storing information. I would argue that humans require, and this is using a little bit of Cliff Hy's uh, notation and work, and kind of marrying the two from Ken and Cliff together. I would argue that humans require technology, and one of the technology humans ultimately require to survive. Is the use of mediums, whatever they might be, to store information. We've done this with writing. As soon as writing was, quote unquote, invented by humanity, um, really used by humanity, I would say. We have storage devices, papyrus, chiseling into rocks, runes in the in the Nordic communities, um, glyphs, hieroglyphs, all of these different quote unquote, ancient forms of memory recall of telling stories. Even there, without just writing, we also had the process of telling stories, right? So we were using our minds and their memory functions to pass on history, to pass on information, to pass on the importance of things. Some things were hard or too complex to pass on easily. So we built monolithic structures, bringing in Graham Hancock's work. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, please check out Netflix, the series um, that Graham just put out this year in 2022, um, which name I apologize. I don't remember. Let me look up just so you have it. I'll make a link on the archive to what it's called. Um, it's ancient something. Uh, ancient Apocalypse, Graham Hancock. Um Oh, again, I'll put a link on the archive at taminginterests.com for that. But I've also have Graham's work listed there, and also um, work from. Uh, it does. I'm I'm getting too too distracted as I usually do. When we look at how humanity goes about passing on information, we have like Graham's work with these monolithic structures that pass on the information of typically. Astrologically, where stars and things occur—you know what, where the star travels, even where the sun travels—so uh, we were paying attention to astrological bodies for a very long time. Why might we do that? Or better yet, when we look at the calendar structures, right? Most of the Western societies and even the the globe, really globally, we've adopted the Gregorian calendar. This twelve months, um, different. Days of, you know, specifically days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then also the 12 months. Uh, it's a solar calendar. The Gregorian calendar is based off a solar calendar, which is an important function that humans have used. These things known as solar calendars that has to do with the seasons, which has to do with farming for the most part. But also we had the lunar calendar. The Eastern world uh, runs on the lunar calendar and has for quite a long time. In fact, one of the biggest holidays in the world is not really Christmas, although Christmas is quite large. It has always been and continues to be, given the number of people who celebrate it, the Lunar New Year or the Chinese New Year as it's quite often referred to. Well, if you think about what that honestly means, it's a celebration or remembrance of something that's very important to how water interacts on this planet. The lunar cycle has to do with the tides and the tides have to do with seafaring people, but also more than that, how the body functions in general. Now, this is a little bit of my own work um, adding in here. We're 70% water. The moon has a huge effect on how water interacts on this planet, specifically H2O, right? The moon's gravitational force, as we kind of currently know it, has a big effect on how water interacts. If we're 70% water, it has a huge effect on how we interact. That's why we have colloquial sayings or old school sayings of, Oh, it's a full moon. Be careful. Oh, why is everybody acting so crazy? That's a full moon. When I was a bouncer, I've paid attention to all the full moons. I did it just as a general human being. That's what I've always done. I celebrate the Lunar New Year uh, because it's an important calendar to be aware of. But there was often times where I would tell people, like, it's full moon tonight. Let's pay a little money. You know, tell the crew just... It's full moon tonight. Let's pay a little extra attention, right? Walk into the bartenders and be like, hey, just, you know, it's full moon Full moon tonight. Just, you know, expect, expect some things, you know? So when you add alcohol to the body, which is also a liquid, you have a body that's 70% liquid and the full moon is causing pressure in that body, stupid stuff might happen. Because that's really what's occurring during a full moon is we're 70% water and the moon's acting upon that. So you get extra pressure. And when you get extra pressure, you get, you get all sorts of weird functions that might occur, right? So if we look at these monolithic structures and also these other, I don't even want to call them other because, you know, real calendars, the lunar calendar, there's this remembrance or remembrance of water, right? And so when we look at something like 4B here, on Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the capacity for storing information. Well, we ourselves are a technology for that. And we used to do it through just conversation and stories and tales. And so we get these fascinating, just like Graham Hancock's work talks about, um, these fascinating tales, these mythologies. Wouldn't that be the best way to pass on information? Wouldn't that be the best way to get people to continue to remember by making it interesting. So we add a little flourish. We add a little of this. We add a little of that. Right. We come up with these fantastical individuals like Quetzalcoatl in South America. Uh, we get Odin and the Norse Pantheon. We get the Egyptian gods. And so you can start to see these correlating individuals who might have had the same role. Quetzalcoatl, someone who comes from the water to save Uh, individuals and teach them skills and trades. Odin, someone who sacrifices their eye for knowledge that they then bring to the Aesir to save their people, to lead them out of an ice age specifically. Um... I'm forgetting some of the other ones that Graham talks about, although I don't know. I haven't seen the whole uh, series yet, so I don't know if he actually does get into Odin, but that would be my ad, Mr. Hancock. If you look at Quixicotl, very similar to Odin as far as that goes, and Odin actually brought his people out of an Ice Age. That's the old uh, Norse mythology of Odin um, leading a tribe of people known as the Aesir out of what was essentially a frozen planet into a place where they could a survive and be also then get ready to use the information that he had to build communities. And then, you know, when we talk about these memory recall functions, we are a technology, right? We're, we're our own technology in that fact. And so With that, we have this thing, you know, Cliff High talks about where we can't survive without technology. We can't survive without fire. We can't survive without shelter. Um, We really can't even survive without cooking techniques because there's not a lot of things we can cook raw or eat raw that would be safe for a long period of time. The idea of cooking techniques isn't that we can't digest raw foods. I mean, we can do that. But, and it's not that they're not nutritious. I'm not having that argument. It's to have a community, to have a society to have large groups of individuals living together, you need preservation functions, which can include cooking or some sort of chemical process, I should say, you know, just even boiling water in situations where the water might not be safe to drink. That's a technology cooking, right? And along with that, there is the necessity for again, technology, but also memory. Memory as a technology. And so our memory function becomes very important just as a societal structure. And so with that, I'd like to make the leap here a little bit to the requirement for memory. But not just memory in the individual, the requirement for the memory as a community, memory as a society, memory as a species, as human. And so it becomes this idea of collective memory memory. And I believe this is where we get into the fact that cultures are a spiritual thing. Spirituality is a cultural understanding. And so every culture has some sort of spiritual story. And that story is the responsibility of that culture to remember. I think we've mistrewn it a little bit though. I think it's gone a little bit far afield. I think we've put it out a little bit too far to the pastor. We've built things like religions and we've built things like mythologies. And I don't think we understand what they really represent. The more I look at the works of individuals that are coming out and kind of being a little bit contrarian and going against the social norm of um, what I'll call academia, theosophy, and and some philosophy. I don't think we understand the memory recall functions. In fact, even if we just look at technology, something I, I went to school for for a while, you know, we have something like RAM. You, in a computer system, you'll have something known as RAM, random access memory. With that, we also have what's known as storage Devices, Uh, you know, used to be we had floppy drives and then we got hard drives and CDs and um, from CDs, we moved on to there was a function of Blu-rays in there for a little while. But then from hard drives, we moved from hard drives to uh, solid state drives and from solid state drives, we now have these new um, M.2 devices, which are fantastic, Uh, but they all represent a storage medium or media. And so when we look at that recall function, they're not infallible. In fact, the original computers, uh, we had a lot of problems with it, right? So one of the memory storage functions of an original computer was something known as a punch card. And this is actually how you know, if you look at the history of computers, a fascinating topic, how computers came to exist with transistors and all these other things that we now think of as a modern computer, like a CPU, uh, when we look at things like programs, an original program was written on a punch card. All right, so you actually had a, a punch card was which, which typically was a very heavy cardstock piece of paper. That the computer, quote unquote, which I mean, it was a computer back then, would read the punch card and the punch card would tell the computer through ones and zeros on or off, essentially, yes or no logic gates. Um, I don't remember which was which. I believe a, a punch was a yes or a one and a, a no punch was a zero or a no, just in logical binary function. Um, so a punch in the card would mean that the circuit was completed as The circuit, you know, sent the signal there being no punch. And I might have this backwards, I apologize, it's been a really long time since I learned all this, uh, but it makes conceptual sense. Um, that if there is a punch in that hole, then the circuit would be able to be completed. If there wasn't a punch, then the circuit couldn't be completed, and thus we have ones and zeros, binary language. Language, another huge memory function, right? But going back to how computers were, you know, invented in, in first made, we had these punch cards, which would have the program on it. So you might have a a punch card that was line, 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 line. It was all these lines long. I think there was a limit to how many lines there could be, but that was a program. It was on these punch cards. It could be as simple as write hello, you know, or something along those lines, uh, output to a a machine that said hello, or really would be math based. So, you know, you could do something like multiplication by writing a punch card that would have a complex set of numbers and then have them multiplied together. And then that would give you an output of some sort that you could write onto another punch card and then read. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, this is where the term bug in the system comes from because you would have these cardstock punch cards, right? And unless they were stored in a climate controlled, um, you know, sealed, situation which didn't really exist all that easily back then uh a moth might come along and eat it and so you'd have a or a bug would come up and you know hang out on the piece of paper on the cardstock and then you'd go put that um cardstock you would insert that into the computer to calculate something and the bug would either get in the way and cause an actual bug in the system or maybe had like stained or eaten a part of it and so it messed up the whole process so that's where that term comes from and so just looking at that idea the understanding that there was this binary language, there was these card stocks in the system. There was a medium already just paper itself at a technical level for computers to store information. We're no different than that. And just like the fact that you could have a bug in the system back then, that's what I was talking about there, a flaw in the system of memory. So too, can you have an issue with, you know, Everything through the 90s into the noughts into the early 2000s, even into today, you can still have issues with memory. They've done a lot to make that not really a thing, but if you take a hard drive and you unplug it from your computer and you just sit it somewhere, there's going to be data degradation. The data on that hard drive will slowly over time degrade, just like our memories, just like you know us telling a story from age to age to age to age to age, to age. And that story changing, whisper down the lane style or getting little ads or extras here because someone thought that the parable needed a little push in this direction to make it a little bit more prudent to what they thought was the actual outcome of that parable. Remember a parable being a story that's supposed to teach us something. The Bible is full of parables. The Quran, full of parables. The Torah, chock full of parables. Really actually more so directly just dated stories, but things like the Mahayana and the Vishnahana, the lesser and greater canons of Buddhism, mostly parable-based. Parables make up what's known as canons. Canons are a collective uh, group of books, but part of those books are typically either philosophically philosophically or theosophically built on parables, stories in which you can use to teach. So in that specific set, In modern society, we have Buddhism, which is based on a set of canons, a canonical writing set, that has lists upon lists of parables, stories that are supposed to teach us something. There's no different than the parables of the Bible. Specifically, books uh, of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're parable tellings of the the history of the work in which their savior, Jesus Christ did. Sorry, but if that's true, then they were written by humans and we are just as flawable, if not more so than modern computers. And so we can add a little bit of here, add a little bit there, take away a little bit here, take away a little bit there, forget completely, have a complete system breakdown and and lose all sorts of data. And so the reliability of our memory functions has always been in question and I believe continues to be into question to this day. So much so that we probably have no current recollection of modern or ancient history that is anywhere near 95%. I would say we're we're sub 90% at best for actual accuracy. Really, if we're talking about the human system, we're probably 75% accurate. Most of the time. So whatever that equates to, to real accuracy. Um, It's easy to lie to our eyes. It's easy to lie to all of our senses, really. Humans are flawed in the way that our senses pick up things. So much so that we can't even decipher the difference between things that we know exist. We know there's this thing known as light. And we know that hard light equals walls or materials of some sort. Well, we can't distinguish between them. We actually had to come up with a whole vernacular set to explain these things. All of biology, all of chemistry, all of, all, all of these functions are ways to make up understandings of these frequency sets. Understanding the human system. Something we still don't do. We have even mapped out the complete, uh, we, well, we've mapped out the brain, but we don't have a, a complete working model of how that works completely like like to the very specific point. We know that some places do certain functions and other places do other functions. and And we've definitely gotten a pretty good understanding, but pretty good is only like 60%. And so with that, just a little bit of understanding, isn't it possible that in our memory, the memory that is human, we've forgotten more than we know, we're talking about in this last month, in November of 2022, we've passed 8 billion people on this planet. Now, that sounds like a giant number, but really, we got plenty of room for more. You can fit all those people into Texas if you give them all a nine by nine. I'm sorry, a three foot uh, square. Sorry, nine foot square. There we go. Right. Yeah, three by three. A prison cell, three by three. If you give everybody on the planet, all 8 billion of us, a. Th- uh, nine-square-foot cell, a three-by-three cell, which is what a prison cell is, we all fit inside of Texas. All of us. We all get a little nine-square area. We'd all fit into Texas. And so, with that, and with this understanding that memory is flawable, both in technology in and of ourselves, and we are technology in that regard, wouldn't it be prudent to look at one of the principal ideas of humanity, passing on information. That's what a principal understanding of humanity is, is to pass on information. This is why I get very, very, very upset when we do not put education first. In all regards, in every aspect of society and humanity and life, we should always put education first. It took me a really long time to learn that, so I don't get mad at people if they don't understand it, but it's a principal factor of humanity. And it has taken me a really long time to figure out some of those. Remember principles as our highest level activations, techniques, concepts, principles, a principle of humanity is the passing on of information without it. We wouldn't exist anymore without that as a function for most biological things. There would be no continuation of the species of the fucking bacteria That's what cell replication is. At a cellular level, it is the passing on of information. Without that as a principal function, things stop existing. I would argue, given some of the work that I've quoted... A principal function, and Cliff High does get into this quite a bit. And I'm stealing slightly. I apologize, Cliff, but I'd also like to talk to you. Uh, go over to the archive. Check out Cliff High's work. Very important. He's he's, he's a woo woo guy, so you got to give it. You know, not everybody's going to agree here, but if you've stuck around with me long enough throughout this podcast, I think you'll you'll enjoy his work. Um, but even you know, someone like uh, Dr. Chris Martinson uses this very similar understanding. The world, not just the world, the universe, the existence of the reality in which we're in, be collective or not, is principally reliant on the passing of information. And so much so that, and this is Cliff's work in his little bloop theory, The only way we still continue to exist is by the fact that the complexity of the information continues to get more and more complex. In fact, that would be the definition, sort of, or not too much of a stretch, but close enough for something like Grant's Law, where every four years the complexity of, I'm sorry, Moore's Law, uh, which I will look up for you because I always get it wrong. Again, it's been a really long time since I've studied computers. I was back all the way in high school. Um is law? Uh, it's an observation that the number of transistors on a microchip roughly doubles every two years. There we go. Um And it goes on to say that it costs halved over that same time frame. But that is a computer functionality law. But the law there is really the principal idea that the complexity must continue to become more complex. Because when the complexity continues to become more complex, the necessity, the need for that thing also continues. This is also the definition for evolution. If that's a theory we want to continue to uphold. I think evolution is possible. I don't think it's the now prevailing theory of where we came from, but that's my own personal opinion. So with the last 15 minutes here of this episode, because I'm trying to keep them around an hour. What's this mean for us? Well, at a grand scale, we need to do what Graham Hancock's doing. We need to know what, do what Cliff High is doing. We need to do what Ken Wheeler is doing. We need to do with what many, many other people out there are doing. We need to be asking more questions about our history and this thing known as memory recall. Putting that aside, in the realm of mental health and self awareness, we need to challenge our memory. There are specific things from my childhood that I don't recall correctly, or that I now change my perspective on. Maybe I changed the connotation of. A fun little process that I like to use is to bring up a meal that maybe didn't have the happiest memory, or it's just something from my childhood, a time frame in which I just remember some of the tumultuous part of my childhood in a memory, uh, a a meal that kind of coincides with that time frame. And to eat that nowadays, maybe it's not the most healthiest thing, but to eat that nowadays in a world where, or at least in a, a, a life, space where you know things aren't really that bad or not as tumultuous at least and to almost reprogram that memory function because that's one of the lovely parts about computers is that you can rewrite over data. Sometimes that's a mistake You know, there are certain things we want to keep and certain things we want to get rid of but there's a lot of trash data out there. A lot of shit that's just redundant and not necessary or maybe there's a necessity for redundancy and so we can use that almost Non-human aspect of the humanity, that technological aspect of how we work, to kind of focus on our mental health and our self-awareness. We can look at past recall events and you know go over them a couple of times, right over that memory, and just be like, nah, I don't really need that anymore. That's kind of useless. We can work with professionals to overwrite some of those traumatic experiences and memory recall patterns. We can work with veterans specifically with PTSD with the new stuff, uh, the new technologies they're using as far as microdosing with psilocybin mushrooms or LSD to help build those new neural pathways so that they don't get stuck in those loops. And not just in uh, veterans PTSD, but also in anyone who's suffering PTSD, that is now an option right? The use of psychedelics to do these things is ancient by nature. It is ancient medicine. Something I've studied a very long time, something I practice on a daily basis are these medicines that we've quote unquote forgotten about or think are less than us that are primitive by nature. Quote unquote, they're not, they're just not because all of these things too have memory. And so again, looking at our self-awareness and mental health, we can look at what we can do with our memory. Maybe it's not the best answer to create happier and happier and happier memories. Maybe that's a function of chasing happiness, which might be correspondent to chasing dopamine. We call this addiction. And so breaking ourselves of the necessity for a new memory of amazingness and settling a little bit more for a memory of contentness might break us of that addiction process or at least help in some way. To understand the memory recall function of working in the moment compared to working in the past. What was the memory of that last dopamine trip? That last dopamine hit? Was it a tasty meal? Was it a night out with friends? Was it, um, you know, a snort of cocaine? Was it a hit of marijuana? Was it, you know, a couple beers? Was it a sexual encounter? Was it a almost sexual encounter? Was it the fantasy of? Was it the use of the imagination to build up a possible memory recall? Or the use of a memory recall to, again, get that dopamine rush? Something like Andrew Huberman's work, again, on the archive, com. When it comes to how the mind works with all these chemicals, and it's also memory recall function, would it be prudent to say that Maybe we should focus more on our sleep so that we can have better better memory recall. So we can be a little bit more critical of ourselves. Any one of these processes, and many many more that I'm not listing and not intelligent enough to tell you about, or haven't experienced myself, or been able to find someone who is, are. Massively important, specifically when it comes to memory. Again, definitions. The power or process of reproducing or recalling what has been learned and retained, especially through associative mechanisms. That now, I hope, takes on a different understanding. The power or process of reproducing or recalling what has been learned and retained, especially through associative mechanisms. That is our history. And I talked about history once in episode 16. You might want to go back and check that one out for a little bit better understanding there. But just essentially, when it comes to our mental health, our self-awareness, self-awareness specifically, the power or process of reproducing. Well, if we're talking about mental health and we want to reproduce a, what we might consider stable mental health situation. We have to recall what that looks like. So the process of reproducing or recalling, that's super important. Our memory is super important to our mental health states, our self-awareness, specifically our self-awareness, when we're trying to better ourselves. Continuing, what has been learned and retained? Well, learning and retention are two different things. You can learn something and not retain it. So really the most important part here is to have retained the information. So maybe you need to repetitively listen to... Podcasts like this or others go and look at Andrew Huberman's work and learn about how memory recall has something to do with sleep function. And then to take in more and more and more information about getting better sleep or quality sleep, quality over quantity, and then also learning more and more about sleep and then practicing in your own frequency ways to get better sleep by having a sleep routine and practicing that every night. Limiting screen time, having some sort of routine, maybe it's brush teeth, get shower, lie down. Count to hundred. Don't know. Up to you. Finishing, because I just talked about it, through associative mechanisms. So putting that all together, the power or process of reproducing, recalling those functions that we've done before that either affected, hindered maybe, remember taming hindrances here on the podcast, so either bolstered or hindered, our ability to recall that which... Was retainable learned through associative mechanisms. Maybe it's totally okay to take a night and just you know I'm going to Netflix and chill with myself. I'm just going to hang out, eat a meal that makes me you know happy, and just kind of stay in and chill. Maybe take some time to reflect on my week or my month or you know maybe the last couple years. Maybe it's just kind of been a shitty time going into the second part of the the one number one definition here. So one B the store of things learned and retained from an organism's activity or experience. That's us. That's self-awareness, constant activity as evidenced by modification of structure or behavior or by recall and recognition. That is the art of getting better at self-awareness, having memory. Experience as evidence by modification of structure or behavior or by recall and recognition. Doing something over and over again. Repetition is the mother of all skill. But learning from the failures. Failure is its father. Repetition is the mother of all skill and failure is its father. This is a function of memory. To do something over and over again. Fail at it fucking miserably. But get better by recalling and doing it and learning from the mistakes. Learning from the process. It's okay to fail. As I talked about in um actually i don't even remember what episode it was anymore <laughs> i apologize uh wrong episode 62 it's okay to be wrong um moving on i'll, I'll just continue moving on because we have only about five minutes left here in this podcast commemorative remembrance well in miriam webster's dictionary here it says uh a, a, an erected statue of the memory of a hero But literally, let's break down commemorative remembrance. Commemorative remembrance is as simple as that Christmas card you got that you put on the fridge or the save the date card. Or commemorative remembrance also includes that figurine that you bought of your favorite anime character or um, that baseball card or any playing card or that thing that your parent gave you or, you know, your grandmother gave you that has sentimental value. The idea of commemorative remembrance has to do with the idea of sentimental value and sentimental value can be as as easy as that comforting thing. Like we had, you know, maybe you had a comforting blanket when you were a kid, a blankie, maybe you called it, right? One of my favorite things is a beanie. I wear beanies in the winter. I could wear beanies in the summer, I probably would, but I get a little too warm for that. It's, it's a commemorative remembrance for many things of me. The mala beads that I wear on my right wrist on most occasions, specifically anytime I leave my house, is a commemorative remembrance of do no harm. It has to do with the hippocampus oath, but it also has to do with my background. I spent a lot of time learning how to break the human body, and I'm pretty good at it. Violence of action is something I learned very young. Didn't always practice, but when I did learn how to practice it, I became very good at it. But the mala beans on my right wrist tell me, not worth it. Violence of action should only be used in certain specific situations. So it is a commemorative remembrance of what that looks like to be a Stoic individual, to be a Stoic warrior, to be a Zen individual, because I practice Zen a little bit more than I practice Stoicism. The fact or condition of being remembered to have right action, right mind, to have self-awareness so that others can remember us the way we want to be remembered. A particular act of recall or recollection, to just have a memory. Memories become very important when we're trying to deal with grief or deal with you know, sadness or to Exalt someone in the reference of maybe we have a personal hero, or maybe we really just remember, want to remember a loved one. To have a loved one needs to have some sort of remembrance. An image or impression of one that is remembered. The time within which past events can be or are remembered. A device such as a computer chip, on and on, a capacity for showing effects as the result of a past treatment or for for returning to a former condition used especially of a material such as a metal or plastic. This is talking about the plasticity of the mind. Andrew Humberbin, go again, look at his work, talks about the plasticity and the effect of memory and how we can make it better so we can have better self-awareness, we can have better mental health. In fact, if we looked at the correlation between how we treat computers and ourselves when it comes to memory recall, and we want to talk about mental health there, there's no difference by judging mental health as the fact of the ability for memory recall and functionality of the human plasticity of the mind as there is to talk about the health of something like RAM or an SSD that it has been overwritten too many times and that it is at poor health levels. That is why in computers they have something like A uh, RAID, a random, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, do I not remember what RAID means? Hold on one second. That's bad that I don't remember the acronym. All of computers is just a bunch of acronyms. Um, And I used to remember, has something, oh, redundant um, something array. Apologies that I don't remember that one. What's the RAID acronym mean? Uh, What does the RAID acronym mean? Acro... Oh, it would help if I spelled acronym right. Acronym. There we go. Um read stand for. Here we go. Redundant array of inexpensive disks. There we go. Read. Um a RAID array is a collection of hard drives, or used to be hard drives. You can now do them with SSDs, it doesn't matter. Um to store data and why a rate array is important is because you have different functions and you'd have like a zero zero or zero one zero zero wouldn't be helpful. Cause it's just all of the information together on in one disc, but like a zero one or a two one, what a rate array allow, allows for is if one of the hard disks goes bad, another disk in the array has the same data on it. So we can just rewrite the disk that went bad. So we don't lose the information, not much difference in that in our memory plasticity recall function, or also having multiple indif- individuals in the societal structure at the macrocosm level knowing the information. So that if something bad or terrible were to happen to someone who has the important set of information of how to farm or you know how to grow crops, how to cook something, that favorite recipe of our grandmothers, we would have somewhere else with that information stored so that we could go recall it and not lose it that awesome cookbook that our grandmother's recipe got entered into the internet archive of sorts. That is the importance of memory in those functions. But going back, as I started this episode, I'll finish this episode, looking at the etymology, the history of the word, old English, Gemma to be well known. The macrocosm of that is to be well-known in the society, to have everyone know your name. Mm, a lot of people are trying to chase that. A lot of people in modern society, specifically with social media, and maybe I shouldn't call it modern anymore because maybe we're not that modern or at least as modern as we think we are, but let's just look at social media. A lot of people are chasing Gemamore the old English well-known. They want a lot of people to know about them and the things they do. To be famous. Maybe not so much be a celebrity, but to be an Instagram, to be an influencer, to be well-known. A lot of people are chasing that. And unfortunately, in their chase of that, they're losing sight of what the microcosm of that is, which is the Latin, "memor" To be mindful. In fact, they've definitely forgotten about the Greek, memeta. To have care. And so, if we look at the etymology of memory, it's important for us to be mindful of ourselves, our self-awareness, our mental health. Because in order to be well- known to be a memoir, we need to be functionally at the spiritual level, that in which is important to culture. If you want to think about that a little bit deeper, I challenge you to think about what's more important, the farmer tilling land that produces crops that people can eat or the influencer trying to get you to buy some bullshit you don't fucking need and nor did they. It's time we had a hard conversation and remembered the importance to societies and people in general of the things that are important that require memory. Things that are required to be remembered and forget about, or at least ignore some of the new stuff that isn't really that important because In my personal opinion, we're coming to a time period where it's going to be much more important to remember things like survival traits. But also things like, who are you and what do you stand for as a person? Because it's going to be challenged in multiple ways. We are, as memory recalls, leaving the age of Pisces, the age of the school of fish, that in which most follow. The group is the group mentality. And we are entering into the age of Aquarius, the age of knowledge, of reason, the individual. And in that transition comes turmoil. Here's a little turmoil for you. In the woke agenda of climate change, you have a bunch of people it would really like us not to remember that they fly around on jets all the time and have fucking 30 car motorcades and want to tell us about climate change, but also the fact that everything we've done in all of 2022 was completely wiped off the map simply by the volcanic eruptions that occurred this year. The volcanic eruptions in 2022 have spilled out more carbon into the atmosphere than we could ever hope to have accomplished by the, not only standards they want to put in place, but the standards that were in place during the whole year itself. We should remember things like that. That being said, we should also remember ourselves. If I had to push for anything, for anyone to do, mental health, self-awareness-wise, for the very end of this year and into the next year and the years after that, the information that I would like to pass on as far as that goes, the memory I would like to put in place there is that we must remember ourselves. It's one of the hardest things to do is to remember ourselves. But it's important. So much so that it is the function of memory. Finishing with, again, the etymology here, the history of the word, the memory of the word memory. memor, mindful. Pay attention to yourself. Be mindful of yourself. The old English, Gememur, be well-known. Know yourself well, because it's old English. Think about how we would phrase that in old English. Give me more. If we were to translate that well-known into mental health and self-awareness, we would say, know thyself well. Give me more in thyself. Know thyself well. The Greek, no Have care, care for yourself. however that might look. That is the function of memory and the history thereof. It's not easy. I wish you good luck with it. Check out the resources over at taminghindrances.com slash archive. Uh, Leave me a review. If you get time, always appreciated to do that. Check out the um, YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Hindrances. Um if you would like to support the podcast, you can head over to Pure Bulk com And use Taming Hindrances coupon code for 10% off your order. You can get there via the link in the archive at taminghindrances.com if you want to go that route. Um, get a small commission on all sales there. Some awesome supplements out there can help with that memory recall function of yours. You can check those out as well. If you're looking for good sleep, I highly recommend Cliff High's Pure Sleep. Um, again, use Taming Hindrances code to get 10% off your order there. Getting good sleep at least a good memory. So great function there. It also has some extra things that will help with memory recall. That's about it. I'll catch you on the next one and just uh, do one of my favorite sayings. Just remember to breathe. Take care.